judge at the Crystal Brush. He's judged some staff Golden Demons, etc. And so uh, this time we were got an opportunity to talk to him after the end of the online Brush Beast competition. Uh, it was a fantastic competition, tons of amazing models, incredible winners, and really a, 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 an astonishing amount of prizes that they gave out for it. Um, and so we get a chance to deep dive into the judging process, how he paints, how he thinks, and it's a fantastic opportunity to listen to somebody who's been around for a long time and knows the ins and outs of painting for competitions. So without further ado, James Craig. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. No problem. Glad to be here. Um, so James, before we get started, usually I kind of ask, now we're in the process of coming kind of out of the pandemic. How, how was the pandemic for you in painting? Um, to be perfectly honest, it uh, I didn't get nearly as much done as I thought I might, but uh, I used it as a chance to kind of recharge the batteries a little bit. And uh, I'm in a position now where I'm feeling pretty good and starting to make some solid moves forward again. Oh, perfect. Yeah, I know. I was listening to people that were like, I painted like 100 models. I'm like, shut up. I only painted like one. <laughs> I, got, uh, I got super burnt out on a couple of uh, commissions that I, as much as I loved them and they were really special pieces for some special people, uh, it just kind of hit at that point where I needed a bit of a break and I needed to switch things up a little. So I turned to doing some of the scenery for my my gaming table with my son, spending a bit more time painting with him. And uh, just kind of set aside the uh, the whole pushing myself thing for a while. And and now I'm ready to kind of start pushing again, making some things that have been on the back burner waiting for me. Oh, man, that's an amazing use of the time, being able to get to paint scenery and paint with your son. I, I, I'm, I'm jealous. My kids kind of are like, we'll play the games, but we won't paint. I'm like, I don't play the games. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, the first thing I wanted to do is talk a little bit about your hobby origin story. Uh, we we kind of brought you here to talk specifically about the Brush Beast competition, but uh, I, it'd be nice if our our listeners got a chance to know you first. Sure thing. Um, I started out my first competition was the first Canadian Golden Demons in I think it was 2001, and I placed and got really addicted really fast, and. Uh, since then, I've gone on. I've got uh, I've got 11 Golden Demons, uh, Forge World Best in Show, Privateer Press Grandmaster, some World Expo Awards, um, I don't know, a variety of other stuff. Uh, I've, I've I've been pretty lucky and have had some incredible experiences and uh, a lot of great help from some great people along the way, uh, for sure. That's the beauty of this hobby, right? Really, anybody can ask questions, and even the most amazing artists in the world stop and answer them. You know. Absolutely. Um, so, how, how when did you decide uh, prior to you competing at the Demon, the, your first Games Day? When did you kind of make the decision that you know I wanted to be? I would presume that you started as kind of a gamer first, and then went into painting. Um, and so, when did you decide that okay, I want to take my painting to the next level? I'll be completely honest. I actually know the answer to this one really specifically. There was an issue of White Dwarf that came out, and it had Jor Taze's, like, absolutely crazy chaos uh, conversion work. It was, like, a rhino covered in, like, putty. It was, like, eyeballs and magical flames and just crazy stuff everywhere. And I'm like, this thing is so cool. And I looked at the little box, and I read about uh, Joe and that he was a – he was an art teacher, 
in I think it was Chicago, and uh, and and I'm reading that, and at that moment I am in school, learning to be an art teacher, and it was one of those very very strange moments where I was like, I paint and I, you know, I enjoy making my stuff look cool, but I've never thought about actually using my traditional artistic skills and combining it with my hobby. I always just kind of like approached it like the games workshop approach to painting. Mm -hmm. we, we layer, we highlight, we learn to blend, we do a couple of things, but I never really thought about really putting those things together in a bigger way. And here was a guy literally doing the same job that I'm moving towards, literally the same kind of educational background. And I was like, damn. And I think that same issue was the one that announced the first uh, Golden Demons for Canada. So. Uh, I was like, you know what? Now I've got a time frame. I've got a goal. I've got an idea. Let's give her and see what happens. Well, that's amazing. Uh, did you did you find that there were any um, challenges translating your artistic background into the into the context of miniatures? At first, yes, because it had more to do with just my mindset and how I approach things. Uh, and then the more I learned to be uh, I, I became a little more intuitive with what I was doing, and I just started trying things. And actually, the 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 truth is, pretty much every time I enter a contest, even now, like this is like 20 years down the road of contests, when I do that, usually the piece that I'm doing is something where I have decided to try something that I've never tried before. And for me, that means that whatever technique, whatever uh, approach or effect I'm, I'm reaching for here, it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be hard. I don't necessarily stick to my, my own rules. I often tell people, you know, in competition, do the things that you do well to the best of your ability. Uh, a, a really well handled technique is usually better than one that is still, still being worked on, still being developed. Mm -hmm. uh, I break that rule virtually every time and <laughs> so it it forces me to either do it or or fail and mm -hmm. you know uh, i i haven't fallen flat on my face yet so i guess i'm doing okay <laughs> well, and i think also timing is critical right probably earlier in your art in your painting career you were probably not taking as many risks per se right you probably i don't want to say you're playing it safe but you probably weren't okay i'm gonna do all this non-metallic metal stuff with a earth sky earth in my yeah. first competition piece. You know what I mean? Like it's not, yeah. it, it was something that I don't know. You're, I, I, you're speaking from a, to new artists from a perspective of experience. I, I can so, tell you my, my first golden demons, I included sculpting and major conversion work. My second golden demon year, uh, somebody said, Oh, that's really great, but you can't do non-metallic metal. So I did non-metallic metals the next year. Mm -hmm. I mean, this, this is back. I, you look at them now, they don't look like, not metallic metals do anymore but at the time i put that on the table and people were like damn and you know and that was that was the whole thing is like if you can't do it or if you tell me i can't do it i'm i'm gonna find a way to do it and right. and yeah so every year it show up with something that pushes and pushes me and and that's what keeps it interesting for me the hardest part for me in a project is finishing the project because i get two-thirds of the way through and once i know i've got something nailed then actually finishing it is the hard part because now i now i've conquered the part that was that was most challenging to me 
right? <laughs> I've heard people say there's no such thing as a finished project, only ones we've yeah. abandoned. Done right? for now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, done for now. No, uh, what is it? Uh, perfection is the enemy of finished or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so now what got you in uh, to judging? Like how, what was like, how did you get wrangled into that? So um, a couple things along the way. Uh, back when I was doing a lot of stuff with Golden Demons, I was also, we used to have this thing at the uh, North American Games Days called the Golden Demon Lounge. Uh, it was something that I actually set up with Games Workshop so that artists could meet with the community, people could answer questions, but it was set up in a way that artists wouldn't get mobbed and there would be a set time and it, and it made things really fun for, for everyone and worked well. So that was something that I, I set up for Games Workshop and that worked well in Canada and got adapted. Uh, I ran it a couple times in Chicago and it got adapted to a couple of the other games days uh, where some of the other people kind of took up the reins and, and did it for us. And um, when I was doing a lot of that, there was also staff Golden Demon Awards. And sometimes they needed an extra set of eyes uh, and, and, a, and an extra voice. So uh, it was something I got asked to for my input on a couple of times. And so that was kind of my first that was my first step into judging was being asked my opinion on staff golden demon awards. Um, after that, you know, it was kind of one of those things where I had won a number of awards. So, uh, and I was doing a lot of, you know, uh, promotion support work through, through different programs. And, uh, and so people asked me if I would, if I would judge small competitions, I got asked to do a couple of, of, uh, bigger things, uh, like the Sword and Brush in Toronto is a is a really great show with some really high quality work in it, and I I've judged that several times now. And then uh, one of my one of my best friends in the hobby uh, and one of my uh, personal mentors, Jennifer Haley, uh, gave me a call up, and she said that they were looking for another judge for the Crystal Brush, and uh, because she knew that uh, I I spoke well with people and was able to articulate because I have a, an actual art and teaching background, uh, she felt that I would be a, a, a really good fit. And so I got to I got to judge Crystal Brush for a couple of years uh, with some incredible people, uh, Angel Geraldes and uh, Jose and uh, from uh, 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 Big Child and, uh, and and just some just some really wonderful people, Francesco, uh, Barabi, mm-hmm. um, and and we worked together well and it went really really well it was it was an incredible experience and then uh somebody that i had met at a couple of uh events along the way uh john mcavoy who's uh, uh mini masterworks right uh he he reached out uh he had been talking with uh, dave taylor uh another uh friend for many years good guy and another uh, hobby icon yeah Dave's, <laughs> Dave's a monster uh, and, and David suggested that, that John contact me and, and John and I had had conversations at various events and he was like, yeah, that, that would probably work out well. And we started talking and it, it became a thing. And so that's how I got to uh, be the head judge for Brush Beast. Yeah, I'm going I'm to get into that in a minute, but I just, you know, the, the, this is always what fascinates me because, so I know looking at past, you know, Crystal Brush is one of those crazy, like, uh, probably 
I guess uh, maybe our level in the U.S. of what Monsanto is in, in you know in, in Europe, you know, um, so kind of the upper highest of the high. So looking back at pieces that have won, um, like for example, you see uh, Kirill Kaninov's uh, Roger Craig. Uh, Space, Space Marine Captain. Yeah. And then second place that year was Ben Comitz's piece. And you're like, how the hell do you to make a decision between two pieces that to almost anybody are virtually flawless, impactful? And I mean, God, there are pieces, both of those pieces you could just study for days, you know? So, 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 Crystal Brush was its own kind of unique monster in that uh, it had a public voting component as well. Mm -hmm. So um, that particular year, I was not one of the judges, uh, but uh, we can use it as a, as a really great example. It's entirely possible that when the judges were done discussing those, they could have been separated by, you know, 0.01%. Mm -hmm. They, they could have been virtually identical in score going into the online voting. Um, that I, I don't know that that was actually the, right. the thing, but they, they, could have been, they could have been very, very close, and then the people decided in the end. Uh, mm -hmm. So that, that's kind of a unique situation in the, in the crystal brush, right? But if, if I had to decide between them, uh, it does become, it becomes quite a discussion. Like when we... Uh, uh, when we chose uh, uh, Michael Pizarski's, um Horseman of the Apocalypse piece. Oh, God, what an amazing piece. Uh, it, there, there was a lot of talk. There was a lot, there was a lot of amazing, amazing top-notch work. And there were things that we absolutely loved about it and things that we didn't love as much about it. And mm -hmm. a lot of the times the model in hand is a very different animal than the model on the screen, as I'm sure right. you're aware of. And it's not to say that Michael's work was less than bafflingly incredible. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, there are things that when we look at it and we have to be, like, really, really objective uh, on certain aspects, that's there. And there is also a subjective component. And I think... This here, here's here's the uh, story that I tell, and I told this to the judges in Brushpiece, and it's very much the basis of my approach to to judging. My very first Golden Demon Award. Uh, it took them longer to judge the category that I was in, and longer to judge my piece versus two other pieces. I got a bronze that year. That was the longest section of discussion for the entire competition. And in the end, the one judge pointed at mine, and that was that. And so I went afterwards, and I went and I asked, uh, and uh, it, was, it was the one judge and Andy Chambers, and uh, who's a, a writer for Games Workshop oh, yeah. back in the day. And uh, Andy said, here, let me show you. He walked me over to the cabinet, and he said, look at this entry, All right? This one's painted better than yours. It is. It is, subject, or it is objectively better painted than yours. The technique is sharper than yours. But they are stock standard models. They are soulless. There is nothing special. There is no story. There is no additional element that raises them beyond the quality of the paint on the surface. 
Now I want you to look at this one. He showed me the other one that they were discussing. He's like, this one's better converted than yours. And it is really neat. And it's got all of this uh, story element. But it's not painted as well as yours. Yours encapsulates great painting, great composition, and a great story element. It sets a scene. It creates a mood. It tells me something about what I'm looking at. And that's why you win. And for me, from that day on, that informed a lot of my practice in creating models. And it also informed a lot of my practice in judging models. And if we look at the, the pieces that uh, placed in Brush Beast this year, I think you'll see that that is still in many ways reflected there. Right. There's a huge narrative element to many of, of the winners. I mean, that, that, that is absolutely for sure. Uh, before we get uh, into that one more, I had another question. I'm sitting here. All these questions are rushing through my brain. Um, well, whatever way you want. So can you give me like a, kind of a difference of type of competition between, say, uh, a crystal brush and a, a golden demon? Like kind of the... You know, besides the fact Games Workshop, and, you know, I know a lot of get people who get their panties in a, in a wad over the fact that they only accept Games Workshop models. I mean, God forbid that they're their competition. They have their models. Um, what what are kind of the differences in the judging process, uh, if you don't mind elaborating on I think, in general, the Golden Demon is easier to judge. Mm -hmm. Because it's so apples to apples. Because it is all Games Workshop IP because the models reflect a certain aesthetic right. uh, in general. And so a lot of the things there are, are fairly similar. Uh, people do, you know, having, having those kind of creative walls to work within means people think really, really interesting ways to work within that. And that breeds some really incredible pieces. Uh, but the actual process of judging, they're so similar that, you know, it, it's, I, I feel, an easier process. Whereas Crystal Brush, because it could be so many different, you know, styles of figure, it can, it, there's so many different companies, so many different types of sculpts, so many different things that can be done that it becomes much harder in many ways to choose between A and B because... I mean, one is a one is a bust and the other is a tank, or <laughs> you know, right, like right. <laughs> it, you know, there, there were categories, but it, you know, a lot of them were very, very broad. A lot of them had a lot more room for interpretation and for kind of like pushing the boundaries in in weird and interesting ways. And I think that is what makes it uh, harder to do that kind of show because. I mean, if we think of a show like uh, like uh, Monty or um, Scale Model Challenge, mm -hmm. we have what's called the open system of judging, where it's not you versus them, first versus second, uh, so much as it is, you know, what what standard do the judges feel you have met? Bronze, silver, gold? Because it could be there could be a hundred gold medals, or there could be zero gold medals, depending on the quality of the work that is there. Right. With something like Crystal Brush, you still have that same limitation of a first, a second, and a third place. Uh, 
or in some cases, some competitions like that, just just the first place. Uh, and and having to make those decisions that that's what makes it uh, that's what makes it extra tough. Right. I mean, that, and that's that leads kind of into uh, this type of question as well. We talked a little bit before uh, we started recording um, about how to evaluate an artistic piece versus a technical piece. And this is another reason why, I mean, uh, the first time I ever judged was uh, as an army painter judge, like for a, a friend of mine was running a, a tournament and said, hey, can you come down and judge with a couple other people? Um, and I was about ready to barf. I was so nervous trying to judge. I was like, why am I here to judge? I suck. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm not a good painter. How am I going to be able to judge these things? And then, of course, they kept delaying the judging. And I was like, oh, my God. And then, like, it wound up being there were only three armies because they were only limited one. You could only win one award. And so if you're going to win the great tournament, you couldn't win best in army. And so all these people were pulling their armies off the table because they wanted to win the tournament. Instead, I'm like, all right, well, now I was worried for nothing. But um, anyways, I was in a situation where that was basically army painting. Typically, I've heard is uh, it's a bit more of a technical uh, some story is nice, unity in the models, et cetera, but there, it's kind of more on a you're not going to see two-dimensional backgrounds on an army, right? <laughs> and so when you're in a situation now uh, judging these type of competitions, that this is a long-winded way to get to the question. I apologize. Oh. Um, so how does that process work of trying to pit a artistic piece versus something like uh, a very well technically painted unit, you know, for a squad or something like that. Well, I'm going to be uh, perfectly upfront and honest on this one. In most cases, the pieces that are the top pieces in, you know, incredibly tough competitions are all technically very sound to begin with. Mm -hmm. Right. Sure. So mm -hmm. um, I, I think, I think the stuff like, like the the masters category that I just judged for Brush Beast, the the pieces that were that were runners up, the pieces that weren't runners up, were still technically incredible pieces. Right. Right. So the the technique aspect carries you so far. Um, I you're gonna find as we talk, I, I tend I tend to tell stories about things as, as my way of understanding them love to yeah, hear it crystal brush we were making kind of our, our round of first cuts and it was uh the year where uh, uh michael pisarski again had the the big nagash on the throne piece right right uh, and i think it was um sergio that won the space wolf yeah the so that year we were going through each cabinet and we were making kind of our first cut. Uh, we, were, we were looking at everything and we were taking kind of a second pass. And I noticed that the other two judges didn't look as carefully at one of the pieces that I looked at. They were distracted by the piece that was next to it. And I'm like, you guys have to really look at this piece too. And, mm -hmm. and again, that's part of why we've got three judges. Uh, we're, we're all looking, we're all seeing different things, but occasionally, you know, something is like big and overshadowing. There's this <laughs> little one ultramarine space marine, just one little guy 
stand in the cabinet. And if you looked at him up close, it looked like he was looking back at you. He was maybe the most perfect ultramarine I've ever seen. Wow. It was just this ridiculously clean, lifelike face. It looked like a miniaturized person. (laughs) (laughs) And it wasn't flashy, and it wasn't dramatic, and it wasn't particularly exciting, but it was beautiful. Turns out it was Michael Pizarski's piece as well. That's what made me think of it. He had green, just studio ski, absolute perfection, but just this one little space marine. And it was a piece that it was technically superior to many of the other pieces in the collect in the mm-hmm. competition. But it was a static little space marine on a green base. You know, there was nothing there that pushed it to be well like there was no additional composition there was nothing that created a lot of visual movement unless you narrowed in like looking at that face Mm -hmm. it was too easy to pass by for it to be the winner of the competition no matter how clean simple beautiful the piece was we all loved it right but you know, I, I think to things like that, that space wolf, I mean, yes, it's like this big, but, you know, the drama and the pose, the the atmosphere of the piece, the atmosphere of the lighting in the piece, all of these things contribute to making it uh, more artistic mm-hmm. right? and not just technical. Right. That's Ultramarine was one of the most technical models I've ever seen, but it was not an artistic model. It was not creative. The artist didn't bring anything additional to the presentation of the model, didn't bring anything else that made that model stand out as being something special, didn't do anything that made that model stand out as being particularly noticeable amongst its peers. Neither the lighting was particularly special. It didn't have a particularly directional lighting, just had a a real simple uh, lighting scheme. There was no particular warmth or or temperature variation to the lighting. There was nothing that really pushed it any further other than being almost a joke of how technical can I be on this one little piece? And and will you recognize that? Right. We recognized it. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty <laughs> awesome. But that's really kind of part of the difference, though, isn't it? In that yeah. it's not just a technique that we need to see. We need to see life. We need to see creativity. We need to see something extra that pushes it further. And I mean, that's the difference between being an incredible painter, as so many of the people in these competitions are, and winning the competition. Kind of that next level thing. And I know I've seen I even in one of the one of the busts that I saw that looked like it was going to start talking to me in the brush piece actually didn't place. And I was like, Damn. <laughs> I mean, the thing looks like, literally looks like it's going to start talking to me. So much good stuff. Yeah. And at the end of the day, uh, we gave away, we gave away about 30 prizes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then, and then draw prizes too. We gave away like more than a dozen of those. So right. it, it was a, it was a big competition um, with, with lots of chances for people to be recognized. But at the end of the day, you know, when there's when there's literally, you know, 300 or 400 
entries, then you know there 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 are limits too, right? We have to make some choices. Absolutely, and that, that, that's I guess that's a good segue into uh, the brush bee. So um, there were I, I'm not sure the exact number, and I, I just had it and it went out of my head, but uh, there were over 300 entries, um, a bunch of different categories. Um, how did the how did the organization of this? I, now you talked about you worked with John and such, but how did you come up with the format of this competition? Well, this one's a story too. Uh, <laughs> after after the last crystal brush that I judged, um, there was a there's an area at Adepticon that and if, if anyone out there goes to Adepticon, uh, the Fort Wapple, it's this painting area underneath the stairs. It's a place where people just come and hang out and paint during the show. It's a fun, great social place. And it's a great place to meet and, and talk and pick the brains of a lot of your favorite painters. And I was sitting around there with a, a bunch of old friends from back in the old Golden Demon days and things like that. And a lot of them were saying that um, as much as they loved Crystal Brush, they felt that the format of it, uh, like many competitions, was was so skewed to, uh, to awarding existing high-end painters that it felt like uh, a lot of painters who were, who were good or who were up and coming didn't really have a chance to make much of an impact there. Didn't mm-hmm. have a chance to, to make an additional voice. So a lot of these people were saying that they wanted to see something else uh, or you know an additional type of category. They weren't sure how to make it work, but they knew what they wanted, right? right. And that resonated with me and sat with me for, for quite some time. And when uh, John said that he wanted to run some kind of competition, uh, he wanted to do some kind of painting thing, he wanted to get the community involved. That was, that was the number one thing, was get the community involved. Um, and so this had been kind of like churning in the back of my head for some time. So what we did is we created a master's category. People who are well-recognized painters who have won awards in other international or or high-level competitions. They would have their own category. They could enter anything they want that they had created since the beginning of COVID. Mm -hmm. Uh, Part of that came from uh, the idea that without the competitions, without uh, the the different things that were ha- that have been happening around the world where, where people got their works out. You, you were always looking for what's going to be the next Francesco piece. What's going to be the next Ben piece. What's Kirill doing next, you know, other than, other than the boxer, what are they doing creatively for themselves or to be exciting or to push something. And, and it felt like a lot of those pieces were kind of lost along the way. Mm-hmm. You know, as, as the pandemic stretched into its second year and we realized once again, we were not going to have these pieces brought out into the public they weren't going to be at adepticon they weren't going to be at monty you know it was kind of one of those things where it was like well we don't want to lose those we don't want them just to be somebody's instagram post and then done you know these are pieces that should be seen should be recognized and we should be giving these people a chance to to really show things off that will excite the community because those those painters like like rusto like uh, like Chris Surrey, these guys excite me. When they do things, it's exciting. Yeah. And I I love seeing what they're going to do next. And to kind of have them just kind of like, there's my there's my piece, go check it out on Putty and Paint. It's not the same as, as celebrating it. Right. 
So this gave people a chance. They could either do something brand new for the contest. Uh, Rusto Russo did that for us. Uh, he's, he's one of my, I, I love, I always want to see what he's doing next. And mm-hmm. I love what he does. It's so creative and so much fun. And so I was super excited that he did a piece and he did it for the show. That's, that's, awesome. that's pretty awesome. Some of the other pieces were not done for the show, they, but they were done over that span of time. And I was really pleased that we could put them out there and celebrate them uh, and, and really get a chance to, to help people see them, to show them off and, and to bring, you know, the, the community around and say, look, look at this cool stuff. Here's, here's new inspiration for you. Mm-hmm. But we put them all in one spot <laughs> and whether they did a bust or a 75 millimeter figure or a diorama or whatever, you know, the, these guys are big kids. They they've all won awards. It's not this is not the make or break of their artistic career. You know, it was a chance to be celebrated. It was a chance to be seen. It was a chance to share. It was a chance to inspire. And we put together some pretty, in my mind, some pretty incredible prizes with our with our amazing sponsors. And and we made it worth their while to show up because let's be honest having them there also brings more eyes to what we are doing and helps to you know generate the support for everyone else right we put together some amazing prizes for the for the masters we gave them three prizes instead of one and put it put it out there and said okay who who wants to play well not only that i mean that's uh i i i you know that we were i was talking with my co-host and we were arguing like like who who really won was it Ben Komets because he's now got the title of Beastmaster and that chair? I mean, my God, that artist chair. Or you know what? And he I, I, donated I, that to another artist. He did. Yeah, uh, John uh, is is one of the guys that was part of the show or part of the show. He did a, a squad of Nurgle Marines. He's he does beautiful weathering work. He, he's a really neat guy. He's got all kinds of back problems and he had made a joke about wanting to win the chair and ben in the end said you know what he should have the chair because then as a community we all benefit from the chair because john can now paint more and he can do more great stuff to share with us all send the chair to john is that john Miragata or yeah yep okay well he's an awesome painter too he is, he <laughs> is. I mean, but but i mean ben didn't have to do that no but, but he saw that, you know, this is a guy that that, you know, had a specific need. And we all we all win when stuff like this happens. Now, we yeah. sent the rest of Ben's prize pack to Ben. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, there was a lot of awesome stuff in there. But but the chair, he was like, you know what? Let John have it. It'll, it'll be better for it'll be better for the community. And and that's a great thing. And that's and, crazy. Yeah, that's 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 the type of thing that keeps me in this. That's that kind of community, the connection between people, the kindness that I have found being part of all this. That's what keeps me coming back uh, more yeah. than anything else. And it's crazy. That that is an amazing story, actually. You know, that kind of that's one of those ones that kind of takes you back. I I kind of have to regroup mentally a minute because that's such a you know it was such a huge you know thing i mean he does get to keep the title of beastmaster i mean oh, that's that, that's yep. that that's one's going to stick with him for a while and i'm sure that's not a problem you know <laughs> um so let's talk a little bit about the brushmaster award 
that would not the Brushmaster, the Brush Beast, the best in show Drew, yeah. uh, uh, award. Um, and so I kind of have a funny little way to kind of ask this, um, because uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, check out uh, the Brush Beast Vault. Uh, I'll put links in the show notes, of course, for you to check out. But the winner uh, did a bust that was also connected to artwork that was um, it was a Native American bust with wolves running. It was it's stunning. I mean, it's something that if you had an opportunity to see in real life and God, hopefully that will see the light of day somewhere on display. Um, that's one you could spend hours and take no, uh, notes on. Uh, I'm going to start with the the other categories that we had for for Brush Beast outside of Masters. Mm -hmm. uh, there was single figure, uh, there was a monster or large creature, there was war machines, uh, and uh, there was we added we added bust. There was also a, a squad category for studios uh, who or commission painters who wanted to show off their work across a set of figures. And you know we were hoping that it might get some people some work along the way. Yeah, that'd um, be awesome. But uh, so out of all of those categories, we chose our our top piece for each category. We chose some pieces as honorable mentions in each category. But there was one piece that, for the majority of us, just spoke that much louder than everything else. And that was the piece that we we chose as best in show. We had three teams of judges, uh, three teams of three judges plus myself. Uh, I was the tenth the tenth man, and um, uh, that piece was on everybody's list for contending for best of show. And it was right. the it was the only piece that was unanimously felt to be belong. Um, so that particular piece, uh, the, the presentation of it was really original. It was beautiful. It was also, uh, it was influenced by a, an anime called Princess Mononoke, uh, with the wolves and the wolf girl and stuff. It was, it was super cool. And it's just so beautifully done. Uh, for me, a lot of the things like, when you start looking at the close-up pictures of it, if you if you look at them uh, on the vault, um, I, I suggest you do things like uh, look at the way the light plays across the top of her one bent hand and then the way it plays down the arm. It's subtle. It's beautiful. It's, it's technically just so smooth. It was lovely. And the more you look, like you said, the more you can see. It was, it was a great piece. And it did have this uh fully originally original painted backdrop for it that was um also done in such a way the model was uh not central to the backdrop but is offset and it created a much larger dynamic movement that included and always brought you back to the model the color harmonies were incredible mm -hmm. the, the whole thing just worked now i was asked just a couple of weeks ago in Facebook um, about uh, what I was asked to chime in on a, on a conversation that was about backdrops and, and, and figures, not necessarily just busts, but figures in general. Mm -hmm. My answer was uh, for the most part, I don't care for them, but I can tell you why it's because in most cases, 
the backdrop is not painted to the same level of quality as the figure. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have genuine harmony with the figure. When I was judging Crystal Brush, there was lots and lots of pieces with like crazy backgrounds and backdrops and whatnot, and most of them did not impress me. Um, whereas other people were like, look, they did this amazing painting thing in the background. I'm like, it's a nice painting. <laughs> and I understand what they're going for, but the thing is, they are not as skilled at that 2D work as they were at 3D work. Mm -hmm. And it didn't really fit together perfectly. Sometimes it does. There's a backdrop piece that Kat Martin put on Facebook. Uh, I think that's who it was. I hope I picked the right person. Anyway, this backdrop that was done on Facebook just a, a week or two ago, and it's this like disappearing um, kind of medieval hall. It, it's beautiful. There are people that nail it. Mm -hmm. There are times where it is right. There was one in the brush beast that I quite liked. It was the road girl uh, bust from Journeyman Miniatures. Mm -hmm. And it had this sloped background and a hand-painted car in the back. And I felt that the style of the painting that was there complemented the bust well. I felt that the colors complemented the bust well. I felt that it framed the bust really well. I thought that that presentation was really pro and very, very good. I liked that quite a bit. So there are times where I feel it works, but much like, so some of the shows that I, that I judge and some of the stuff that I've done uh, is, is historicals as well. I don't, mm -hmm. I'm not just interested in, uh, in fantasy and science fiction. And the, my major complaint with historicals is usually the figures on the tanks. Right. Okay. Yeah, right? I can see that. Armor modelers sometimes do their armor just so well, and they put these figures on. And you know, I I get what it means to do figures and armor. That's a that's a large skill set to try and bring together. Right. And when it comes together right, it's magical. It's amazing. But a lot of the times, even when I'm going through military magazines, I'm looking at them I'm like. It's not the same quality as what I see in the tank. And for me, that breaks it right away. That's, that's it. If, you, mm -hmm. if your pieces don't match each other, then you're not, like, if I can see a difference in the quality between your work, then the figures are not your best work. Or the thing, the backdrop is not your best work. And if it's not as good as the rest of it, then I've already found terminal flaws in your work mm -hmm. you know it's it's has in some way distracted me from the overall presentation of your work mm -hmm. it no longer uh you know feels as technically sound as maybe one part of your work does and if it's not all there then you should have edited it out before competition <laughs> so what 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 i'm hearing it's better to suck at both than be good at one and highlight the differences, right? No. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's, better, it's better to push yourself to continue mm -hmm. to develop the things that you're interested in 
but understand that in the process of pushing yourself, it's not going to work every time. And if you are finding something or somebody's finding something that isn't working, that's the thing you should be asking about. How do I push that further now? Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Bring that up to where your other stuff's going and you'll keep growing. Right. Yeah, I think that, you know, I was kind of just playing along with our original model. We suck at painting, so y'all don't have to. <laughs> um, but uh, it's always it's interesting to me. There's another like if you would have asked me, well, you couldn't ask me 10 years ago because I wasn't back. I hadn't returned to the hobby yet. But uh, even five years ago, the amount of 2D and other influ artistic influences that have just kind of exploded and may maybe that's a bonus of COVID that people have had more time to experiment and, and things along those lines. Um, and really, I think the brush beast brought a lot of people brought their a game you know, <laughs> to, to, to that competition, you know, and, you know, and just like we were talking before about narratives and stuff and the, you know, Ben Comet's piece, I mean, that's one that has a, a bunch of figures on it. Somebody that melted the style of the figure to the style of the armor. And then you got, these, you know, I don't, but dwarves or what are halflings? There we go. See my game. Yeah. Had the halfling on the back playing guitar and just like the whole, I mean, it kind of, I was like, is this halflings in Vietnam or something? You know, like. <laughs> yeah. And, and I don't, I don't think Ben's piece, I mean, Ben's piece is amazing, but it wasn't the most technical piece in the show. Mm -mm. It was beautiful and everything in it was beautifully well handled. And I felt that everything really was harmonious and belonged together. But, you know, there were other just, you know, technical marbles in that show as well. You know, things that things that were as good mm -hmm. uh, technique wise. Um, Will Hand's uh, Space Wolf that that took second in Masters was. Technically beautiful. Right. Uh, uh, Eric uh, did a piece, uh, uh, an elf in gold armor, um, and there were aspects in that that were just so sharp. You mean Eric Swinson or yeah yeah, yeah. So, oh yeah that piece is gore yeah yeah um there there were there were pieces that had incredible technical acuity but Ben's piece had it it was it was technically sound it was it was not just a frontal model it was a, a complete model in the round the more you looked the more there was to see all the 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 squirrel the the conversion, right. the 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 groundwork, everything just kind of like it, it just had everything all the way around all the time. Yeah, and it's disgusting to watch his video of it because it looks so he makes it look so simple. Yeah. You know, I mean it's kind of like, all right, man. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard the same thing like my my co-worker class with Sergio Calvo and uh was talking about how like Sergio's got this piece and you really look at it and it's terrible and you're like it's all the pieces and then he hit, picks up his hairbrush, spritzes it twice, and it's a masterpiece. And you're like, yeah, yeah you're he's just like, super fun. Anybody right, else that gets a chance, yeah, it's so worth it. So much fun. Right, but it makes you sit there and want to go, F you. You know, <laughs> you just spritz that twice with the hairbrush, and it's a masterpiece. Come on. <laughs> My favorite person to take classes with is uh, Fernando Ruiz of FER Miniatures. Mm -hmm. He is the funniest teacher. Uh, he has such an incredible laid back approach and, but you can always see, you know, stuff spinning. He's, he's, he's deceptively sharp. 
<laughs> yeah, you know, it's really interesting, too, to find out, like, the different style of teaching. Like, I was super fortunate uh, when I got back into painting or when I decided I went from I wanted to game when I came back. And then it was kind of like, I don't really have time. And then I fell in love with painting that I went. Um, I took a three day beginner class with Roman Laplatte. Um, thank God I did, because then I followed that up with a two-day Banshee bust class, and my head nearly exploded after that week of classes. But it was just such an interesting dichotomy, you know what I mean? Like, it was uh, – they're so so different in teaching styles. Um, Roman is very German and methodical, and that doesn't decrease his artistic nature, because I think he's one of the best narrative painters in the world, easily, you know. Uh, but then you go to the shotgun blast that is Banshee, um, that uh, and it's just constant shotgun blast for two days, you know, and you love it. What whatever he's doing though, I, I haven't had the pleasure of taking one of Banshee's classes yet. Uh, I've met him and he's a nice guy, but um, whatever he's doing, his uh, his Patreon, uh, both the second and third place masters uh, pieces, Will and Chris Surrey, both of them do the online coaching with Banshee. Yes. Eric Swinson, that's when when we interviewed him, he talked about that um, he did online coaching as well. And then, boom, he wins best in show at the Nova Open. And I'm like, all right, I'm seeing a pattern. <laughs> you know what? The most important thing to have if you intend to compete as a painter is quality feedback. Mm -hmm. Having people that you trust, not just to tell you how awesome your work is, but to tell you things that you might have overlooked or things that you might be uh, blind to because you have it in your mind that it should be a certain way. Getting those contrary but well-explained, supported, and and valued opinions is the best thing that any artist can do trying to move themselves forward. Right. And actually, that's going to be a focus of one of our shows is like how to – ask for feedback, how to receive that feedback, and then also importantly, because how, how to give feedback that's of value, that you don't just write push contrast, because, well, you know, everybody <laughs> everybody knows that, right? You got to push contrast. My approach to it is usually to choose one or two things about the figure. Usually I ask them, what's something that you are less satisfied with here? And I'll tell you something that stands out to me that you could continue to work on. Mm -hmm. So we discuss what it is that they're not as satisfied about. I give them a couple of suggestions on things uh, or ideas that they can pursue to to work on the part that, that they are most interested in working in. And then I, I try to give them a suggestion of something else overall that uh, will help them continue to push forward as well. Right. And, you know, then one of the things that's super important, too, is uh, like I, I keep no I have note cards that I carry on me and I, I actually, my wall is littered with them of the different, like I've approached, if you can name the, the American artist that's been <laughs> at a show, I've been like, tell me what you think. What do you think? Tell me, um, you know, so it's the same lens and like Eric and yeah. even all the, all these amazing artists. And do you know what the universal thing was? They stopped and gave me positive constructive criticism, yeah. you know, some of sometimes, like, you know, like uh, I'm friends with Vince Venturella. His criticism on my stuff is a little bit harsher because we have a relationship and that's OK. You know what I mean? Like I, I want him to push me. And so and it's interesting trying to learn how to. And that's also he's got a very dry personality. Like, he, you know what I'm saying? Like that. Uh, I love him. 
So don't take that any any negative way. I think he's an amazing teacher and artist. But um, you know, you got to learn how to take feedback and use it and and such. And it's just such a God bless the community. I mean, I'm still actually, you know, I'm I'm going to be honest. My mind is still on Ben giving that guy the chair. You know, I mean, that's how much kind of an impact that uh, psychologically had on me. <laughs> We've moved on from that, but my brain is still thinking about yeah. it. Um, so the big thing that I think that's kind of, I, I think this is going to change. This is the kind of the question that I, I wanted to get to the heart of. Um, and I think miniature painting due to COVID has changed kind of forever to a degree. And um, the group I'm a, a part of, National Capital Model Soldier Society, small group localized in the National Capital area, ran a show and got hundreds of entries from around the world, too, which is at, like it's mind boggling that this little tiny group of like 25, 30 people um, isolated in Washington, D.C. area were able to kind of gut muster that. Um, and now seeing what happened with the Brush Beast. I mean, I feel like now we've kind of entered a new like before online comp before COVID online competitions, let's be honest, were who took the best picture. Yeah. Right. And that was really it wasn't even who was necessarily the best artist. It was who could take the best picture. And that seems like that world is kind of changing as well, too. That you can even judges can see through kind of some crappy photography now, you know? <laughs> but even even more so, I think people are also generally better at photography. And I think that the technology that is in our phones allows us to take, like, I, I think back to the digital photos we took when I had my like little camera or, <laughs> or even my big camera, you know, I can take, I can take shots as good on, on my phone now as I can take on my DSLR, you know, that's crazy. So, you know, when, when, when we get to that point, I mean, there were pieces in the competition that, may have done better if they had better photos perfectly honest but this guy <laughs> but um i think overall the quality of the photos was was pretty good and mm -hmm. you know we we generally know what we're looking at you know it's it's not like it's some kind of strange alien mm -hmm. thing we've never seen before we we see models we know the techniques we see the work you know and um and so I, I think that that's, I think that that's something that is is less of an issue now. And because of that, and because of the situation, I mean, people, people want to be seen. People mm -hmm. want their work seen. Back when I used to do a lot of competing myself, one of the biggest things for me was to be in White Dwarf magazine. You know, for for years and years, you know, Games Workshop was was the thing. I was doing Golden Demons. And I was I was in White Dwarf with like army features and articles and a bunch of other things. And that was the best part, you know, the, the trophies and whatnot, but just getting my stuff seen and having people talk with me about it. And now with the Internet, yeah, you can have your stuff seen all over the place, but there's so much noise. There's so much stuff that it's hard to find a way to focus people's attention to not just scroll past you. Right. That's why, again, with, with Brush Beast, we really, really wanted to emphasize that the opportunities were there for everyone. I mean, my 13-year-old son put a piece in the show. That's he, fantastic. He, he was the youngest painter in the show, and his piece looked great. It's a, mm -hmm. it's a kite man from the Batman uh, uh, miniatures game. This yeah. Okay. Green kite on his back. 
you know, my 13-year-old kid painted that. And his piece was shown next to everybody else's. People got to see it. He showed his class online when he was doing his online schooling. That's awesome. Know, and and he was proud of it. And he was he was pleased to be seen. And even and, and a big part of it was too that even if you didn't think you were going to win the show, right? Mm-hmm. Each of each of the non uh, masters categories had one prize, just one. We picked one as the best of category, and that one got a prize. Right. And you know there was some uh, uh, scale model challenge medals given to a couple of the uh, pieces in the standard categories as well. But everybody that entered, we had like a gazillion draw prizes. There was a chance for everyone to walk away with something if that was a motivator for you. That's not a motivator for you. Everybody gets seen. Everybody gets featured. Everybody gets shown. Mm-hmm. And then when we started rolling out our actual winners, instead of just putting it up as one giant wall of winners, here's all the people that won. See you next time. We rolled them out. Never rolled them out slightly slower than we should have, but we rolled them out so it was like two a day. You kept so the drama. Every- you kept the suspense. That was the good yeah. thing. <laughs> it was part about keeping the suspense, but it was really part about. Here are a couple of models that won. Give everyone a chance to really look at these. Think about these ones before I throw another one in your face. Mm-hmm. So that it wasn't just, and the winner is this, and the winner is this, and the winner's, and you're like, oh, okay, those all won. Right. No, now here's this one. And this afternoon, I'll show you another one. Who's going to win? Well, tension is good. That's exciting. But more so, we did it as a, as a full screen presentation of that person with a comment saying, you know, why did we choose them? You know, what was it about this? And give that person just that extra bit of spotlight, whether they were a master's or they were standard category, they were all treated the same. Mm -hmm. Give everyone a chance to shine. Exactly. That's, that's a, that's a great way to do it. And it's interesting because there's now there's kind of the, the two different type of competitions virtually, you have the virtual shows and then you have kind of the, like the brush beast and, uh, Evier metals, Ed banger. Uh, those are kind of like a, over a period of, of time, which that's another great comp that, that brings out the best in people too. Um, I, I, I love that's a that's one of the ones I still go back to the galleries of that from past to get inspiration. But uh, so the, so I guess you know it's funny because I was thinking about we're talking about the quality of the photography and such too. And one of the things that's important, more so maybe now in that world is in this world is, is it a piece that there can you get a good photograph of it? Like and I really I think that's the biggest lesson I learned is that I chose my piece was uh, Lord of Gluttony chariot thing oh yeah, yeah yeah i could not get a good angle picture of that model except for the one that gw shot at all and it's you know my it's lesson learned i hated the i hated painting that model it really was one of the most annoying things i've ever painted in my life um so i when uh, like people i didn't win anything i was like yeah no no kidding <laughs> it got me entered into it so i could have a piece in the world that's great Mm-hmm. Uh, Lands Horseman of the Apocalypse Crystal Brush winner took mm-hmm. more than three hours for Jose Palomares, who is effectively a professional miniature photographer, took them more than three hours to get good shots of it. Yeah, yeah, right? that's it. That had so much depth and so many pieces. Like photographing it was, and and the thing was, we knew that part of our job in doing that because we present the ones for the people to choose online. 
we had to make sure that those photos were a good representation. You know, mm-hmm. That was part of our pact, part of our our uh, promise to the competitors is that we will put you forward in the best way we can in the crystal brush. And and so in order to get that right, it took forever. It right. really did. I can't even imagine. And then you have the, that, that just the pressure that all of the level of the pieces and that, and, you know, like in the past, it could be the people's world that really changes the outcome of, of, of the crystal brush. And there was at points, $10,000 on the line, you know, <laughs> Yep. I mean, geez, I can't even imagine. Um, so I don't, I don't want to keep you too much longer. Um, the number one thing for our podcast is that our motto is better, braver, happier painters. And I was wondering um, if you had a bit of advice for our listeners that are thinking about taking their painting to the next level and entering competitions, et cetera. Yeah. So my advice uh, is basically the one that I live by. Uh, choose something that you want to accomplish. Push and accomplish that goal in your project. So whatever project you you are going to do for a competition, it has to have something that you want to accomplish with it. Not just, I'm accomplished painting it. I've done it. There's got to be a technique. There's got to be an atmosphere. There's got to be an idea that mm-hmm. makes that piece worth other people looking at, right? If you want people to pay attention to it, you have to put something into it that that they want to pay attention to. So you have to choose a thing and you have to focus on pushing that and making it happen. Uh, good composition is always important. Uh, physical composition and color composition. Try and create something that moves my eye around. Mm-hmm. Right. So I want to have something that says, oh, this piece is interesting. And then once I look at it, I want to be interested in the whole piece. Right? Not just the face, not just the thing. I, I need the complete right. package. And paint every part of whatever you do to the utmost of your ability. If it is for competition, it's not for your games table. I mean, I played with all my Golden Demon stuff back in the day, but it was competition first, then I get to play with it. And so everything has to be painted to the best level that I can present it at at that time. And something that was my best last year, probably not my best next year. And that's how I keep moving forward. And that's how I keep, you know, feeling good about what I'm doing. That's fantastic. I really appreciate it. Uh, James, can you tell our listeners where to find you? So uh, I'm on Facebook uh, under James K. Craig. You'll find me in the Brush Beast uh, vault and competition spaces. Uh, You can find some of my work in the new book by uh, Fantasy Figures uh, International and Alternative Miniatures called... uh, after the apocalypse uh find some of my work in the uh, best of the golden demon compilation that's uh just uh finished its kickstarter so that's coming and uh i'm I'm not too hard to find i'm in a lot of communities online if you look for me ask around for me somebody will know how to point you to (laughs) thank you so much james for being with us today it's really been an honor and a privilege happy to do it i'm uh i'm not a professional painter i'm a high school teacher working in my basement but I've loved being part of this community for so long. It's created so many opportunities and really, really great moments and friendships for me that I, I feel it's my duty to give back as much as I can. And uh, for, for all the listeners out there, uh, when I say, if, if you want to hunt me up, I'm out there. I'm out there. I'll answer you. 
Dan and I would like to thank James Craig for joining us today. It was such an incredibly insightful interview on the competitive painting process and how to judge those type of situations and also on feedback, et cetera. So James, thank you so much for sharing your hobby story with us um, and congratulations on a successful brush beast. You can find James on Facebook and on Instagram. Um, we'll put links in the show notes. Uh, you can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Listening to Paint Dry, as well as our YouTube channel, which is Listening to Paint Dry with Mike and Dan. Follow us on Twitter at Dry Listening. I know I said dry painting in the past, but uh, I'm an idiot. So it's at Dry Listening, actually, on Twitter. Please like, subscribe, or follow wherever you get your podcasts from. And if you could leave us a good review, we'd greatly appreciate it. We'll be back again in two weeks. This time, we are going to start our journey to ReaperCon. So join us as we start getting our act together, trying to get ready for our first convention in a couple of years now at this point. So with that being said, and a dog snoring in the background, sorry about that. Uh, I think you should look any challenges straight in the eye and become a better, braver, happier painter. Until next time. Listening to Paint Dry with Mike and Dan is a production of LTPDWMD. All rights reserved. No portion of this recording may be used without the express written consent of the host. The music is Death by a Thousand Questions by Springtide. Download from the free music archive on a non-commercial attribution share-alike basis. All views and opinions expressed in the show are solely the views and opinions of the person who said them. All celebrity voices, if any, were impersonated and done so poorly.